Can a few hundred dollars change a life? Well, if applied to a modest solar array in rural Costa Rica, it can give a family who used to have to light a kerosene-soaked rag to light their house clean, available, bright LED lighting. No more fumes, there's enough light that the kids can study. It's a feel-good story for obvious reasons, but is there more to it? Is there a soul-level reason why converting from a polluting energy source to getting energy right from the sun is inspiring? Actually, do souls have energy? And where does it come from? And can they switch utility companies? Now, I don't know if anyone's actually ever asked themselves these questions, but we're going to go ahead and answer them anyway tonight. Stay tuned. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Swedenborg and Life. This is a show where we take a look at the recorded experiences of Emanuel Swedenborg and then we take a look at life. We try to see where these two parallel and intersect and can we from that find a way to live better, to navigate life more easily, more effectively. And today we're going to do that through a grand metaphor. My name is Curtis Childs. I'm the host. I'm with the Swedenborg Foundation. And you can be a part of this show. You can be a part of the conversation. Ask your questions. Get your comments in live. If you're on YouTube or Facebook, just write them in there. We have people finding them, grabbing them, and at the end we'll do a live Q&A session. Okay, I said we're going to do this metaphor searching. There's these parallels they called correspondences by Swedenborg, but it's basically where one physical thing, a process, an event, an object, is a representation of a deeper spiritual thing. So we can actually learn about how our own hearts and mind works, hearts and minds work through studying these things in the physical world. And today we're going to look at renewable energy. And is is green energy is it something that can parallel a shift in the way we energize our spirits and the way we think about and treat other people. So that's the task. Let's start by looking at fuel sources themselves in part one. It's a good question. What, what fuels us, what makes us go, and especially if we're going to talk about changing energy sources, we have to know where we were initially. And like I said here, we're going to do this through looking at the physical, natural world phenomenon of using green energy or renewable technology to get our energy. And from that, we're going to be able to learn about what it's like in the soul to do the same thing. That's the promise of correspondences. So we can begin, I, I'm not a, I, I like renewable energy, but I'm not an expert on it. So instead, we're going to bring an expert in. The, Ian Wolfenden is his name. His website is there. You can go check it out. And he's, he's essentially like what I'd like to be when I grow up. He's a renewable energy author, educator, speaker, and consultant. You guys know the, the, the Four Dummies book series? He actually wrote the uh, Wind Power for Dummies book. Book. So pick that up, you'll read his stuff. So he was influenced by his parents, uh, who were ahead of their time, kind of implementing renewable energy practices. For what it's worth, and nobody's counting, they were Swedenborgians. <laughs> but he now has this sweet homestead as well, where he is completely, that's him there in the foreground, he's completely off the grid, raised his family there 30 years, never connected into it, making food, all this kind of stuff. So he's not just telling other people how to live this, he's living it himself. So we asked him a lot of stuff, and we, we wanted to get into not just 
how do you do renewable energy, but what, what are the actual hurdles to it? What's the realistic um, s- stumbling blocks when we want to try to convert to something better? And the hope is if we learn about what that's like with renewable energy on a physical level, we can then learn about spiritual energy. And that's all going to become clear, but let's start on the renewable physical energy side. And he's he told us, he does a lot of stuff, but this is a particular project that he worked on that we mentioned in the intro where a little bit of solar technology can make a big difference in Costa Rica. So here's him describing what, what he does there. Uh, Twelve years ago, I started a program in Costa Rica focused on helping poor rural people use renewable energy technologies. And the technologies include solar cooking, solar hot water, uh, solar wind and hydroelectricity, and methane, uh, biogas from from animal manure. Uh, And we install very simple systems for people who don't have big needs. When my clients up north complain that these renewable energy systems are so expensive, my, my blunt answer is, that's because we're energy hogs, not because the technology is expensive, because I can take a few hundred dollars to Central America and absolutely change someone's life from uh, living, they, they live in what we would call shacks, very you know, dirt floored, small buildings, um, but they might light their home with literally a rag in a can of kerosene. I've seen this over and over and over again, and that's what they do for light. It's not healthy light and it's not good light. Uh, it's not good quality light. Um, for a few hundred dollars, we can put a, a modest solar electric module on the roof and three little LED lights and a very small battery. And they have lights and cha- changes their life. I mean, their kids can, can do their school homework at night. They can read, they can socialize, they can work. Uh, they can, s- one, of, one of my favorite stories down there is one of our project owners primary purpose was that he could see poisonous sta- snakes in his home before he stepped on them <laughs> so uh we, we think we have troubles <laughs> but, and we think we need technology but uh, these people really make it super useful and i love working with people up north too but it's it's very satisfying to take a technology that i'm familiar with and take miniature systems and give them to people who who need them more than we do and appreciate them more than we do. It's just good. It's just a good sounding process. This is a win, 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 win. You have people who don't have enough light and are getting it from a source that has side negative side effects. Instead, you can give them accessible light on demand anytime. It does things better. There's no pollution. It's just like, that's a cool thing to have happen. So could we do something like that on a spiritual level? When I say spiritual, I mean in the thoughts and feelings, like a psychological, emotional level. Emanuel Swedenborg says those are like the same sort of thing. So what, what would that look like to be able to make that same conversion in, within our spirits? Does that make sense? Hopefully it will as we roll through this episode. So first we have to establish that we get spiritual energy. You, you, we all think about getting physical electricity that we have to, you have some kind of line that comes into your house or some kind of device that gets it to you, but we, we pull in spiritual energy as well, and we get the deepest energy, according to Swedenborg, from love. And this is Secrets of Heaven, 
1.36. Our actual life force or actual vitality comes from heavenly love. So that's your, uh, you know, Thomas Edison company there, heavenly love. Nothing living can possibly exist unless it derives from that source. And the source is emanating out of God. It's almost like divine solar energy. Swedenborg says there is a correspondence between the sun in the physical world gives us what God gives us spiritually. You know, God God is the source of everything. But a, as a metaphor, it's a pretty good one. And he goes into describing this further in Arcana Celestia, which is the Latin name for Secrets of Heaven, because we're doing a number that's so high that they haven't had the new translation of it yet, in case you were wondering. This is Arcana Celestia 10188, talking a little more about that energy source and how we tap into it or don't tap into it. So here it is. The sphere of divine good fills the whole of heaven and also extends into hell. For it is like the sphere of the sun's heat in the world, which in summer reaches even into dark places where the sun does not appear. That divine sphere was likened by the ancients to circles of radiating light, which had God in the middle of them and angels round about. Those, therefore, who allow themselves to be led by the Lord, and so who receive what is divine from Him, are in the sphere of divine good to the extent that they are receptive. Those, however, who are not receptive are, it is true, in that same sphere, but their interiors are closed off, to such an extent that they are insensitive to its influx. For the attention of those in hell is fixed on things of an external nature, and not on those of an internal nature. From these external things, furthermore, evils and consequent falsities emanate, which, as they appear around those spirits, look like a pall of smoke from a furnace. As a consequence of this, the external sphere of divine good there loses its effectiveness, while the internal sphere nevertheless remains. Though they are unreceptive of this sphere, because the way for it to come in has been closed, the Lord nevertheless rules the hells by means of it. The reason why it is the sphere of divine good that emanates from the Lord is that the Son of Heaven, which is the Lord, is God's love, for that is how this love manifests itself there. The heat radiating from it is the good of love, while the light radiating from it is the truth of faith. This is why in the Word, the Son is used to mean God's love, its fire and heat being the good of love, and its light the truth of faith. Furthermore, from each individual angel there emanates a sphere from his own love, as there does also from each good or bad spirit, in keeping with their loves, though the spheres emanating from them do not extend very far. But the divine sphere extends through all creation, for it emanates from what is inmost, and what is inmost is the all in all of the things that go out in order from it. That, there's a little bit of foreshadowing there with the, the individual spheres that come out of those spirits, because we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Did that make sense? The, God's love and wisdom radiates out through everything, just like the sun's light and heat radiate out into us. And it's that's what's giving us energy. That's what gives us the ability to live. And what we what we tap into or how we how we um 
interact with that energy, whether we do it in a, with, in a positive or negative way, affects what we take joy in and where we source our, our vitality from. If you have joy in things that are constructive and good, that opens you up more to that. But if you start to take joy in things that are harmful and antisocial, that actually blocks out our ability to tap into this divine solar energy. This is Heaven and Hell 398. Heaven's pleasures are both indescribable and innumerable, but no one can realize or believe anything about their multitude who is wholly wrapped up in pleasures of the body or the flesh. This, as I have already said, is because their deeper levels are looking away from heaven toward the world, which is backward. For no one who is wholly involved in pleasures of the body or the flesh, or in love for oneself and the world, which is the same thing, which by that Swedenborg essentially means considering yourself to be better than other people and living for sensory gratifications, and we've gone into that in more detail in other shows, feels any pleasure except in eminence or profit or in physical and sensory gratification. These stifle and smother deeper pleasures of heaven so completely that people do not even believe such pleasures exist. And we're starting to get our first taste there of what is negative energy, and it's solely getting pleasure out of eminence or profit. I'm not... Right now in the U.S., there's all these campaign ads right on TV. There's these elections coming up, and we see all these commercials. People are trying to get into office. If you're just trying to get into office because you want power and for everybody to know who you are and respect you, that's that's not good energy. If you want to get there because you want to serve people, you think you can do actually do good for the world, that is fueled by good energy. And at the end of that that number there in Heaven and Hell... Swedenborg said, some people don't even believe that this good energy exists, that you can actually feel it. But Swedenborg had a lot of experiences of perceiving this, as we all do on smaller scales, but he got to really no filter, here's what the essence of it is, here's what we're striving towards. So we actually did a a video a long time ago on this channel, we called it What Heaven Feels Like. This is a a clip where I'm reading Swedenborg, just his own words, about the experience of this heavenly joy. So here's just a little example of what we can be trying to get. We may gather the magnitude of heaven's pleasure simply from the fact that for everyone there it is delightful to share their happiness and bliss with someone else. And since everyone in the heavens is like this, we can see how immense heaven's happiness is. For there is in heaven a sharing by everyone with each individual, and by each individual with everyone. Saw in that clip the potential of joy, that there is an energy source that is positive and it's vast. It's cooler than what we currently think is the coolest kind of energy. You know, this is better than what the ego has to offer. But to really be sure of that, we got to look what does the ego have to offer? What does hell, the hell in the mind, have to offer? And we're going to get to that now in part two spiritual pollution. got to be aware that you can affect the environment before you really are worried about affecting it. Back for human beings and the physical biosphere, before we realized that we could mess it up, nobody really cared. 
how they affected it. You know, we were too small, too small population wise to have an impact. It took actually seeing it happen and understanding the fragility. So that that's part of it. But why why care about the environment? We can know, but why why care about the physical environment? Because we're looking again at this physical renewable energy as a parallel to spiritual renewable energy. So let's start on the physical side. Here's Ian again with a little bit of why he chose to get into renewable energy in the first place. So right now, I think I woke up this morning and I walked outside and I live in the woods. I don't live in the wilderness, but I I live in the woods a mile in two directions from the Pacific Ocean. And it's just so obviously beautiful. It is just so obviously peaceful here uh, that I want to protect this. I hear the noises of my neighbors. I hear equipment once in a while. I hear oil tankers going through the channels around this island. And that all, all of that, both sides of that, inspires me to do something that preserves this beautiful place we live in. It's just, uh, it's just awesome to me that we live in this, these enormous trees I'm looking at right now and the birds I hear in the morning. Um, I think from my childhood, I've been in awe of, of nature and love the idea that my work is really supporting nature and and working with nature, not against it. Um, When I see a clear cut or I see a strip mine, I think we can do better than that. We, We have lots of resources here and we affect our environment, but we don't need to destroy it and we don't need to abuse it. All right, there is the formula for caring about the environment. you got to see that it's beautiful, see that we affect it, and see that it's fragile, that it, it matters what you do. So that's on a physical level. Did you know, well, according to Swedenborg, there's a similar dynamic in the spiritual environment? Did you ever think about it? Like We can actually pollute the spiritual environment based on what we love and what we pursue and what we get excited by. So this, this is 20 bucks. I'm going to give this to you, give it to the kids, tell them to go see a movie because they cannot be in the room for this quote, okay? This one is a little edgy. Divine Providence 38, a love for what is evil gives us pleasure when we are caught up in its compulsions. This holds, for example, for loving adultery, vengeance, cheating, theft, or cruelty, and among the worst of us for loving blasphemy against the holy values of the church and spouting venomous nonsense about God. The wellspring of these pleasures is a love for being in control prompted by a love for ourselves. These pleasures come down from compulsions that obsess the deeper levels of our minds and flow down from there into our bodies, where they stimulate filthy reactions that excite our very fibers." The result is a physical pleasure prompted by mental pleasures in proportion to our compulsions. After death, in the spiritual world, we can all discover the identity and nature of the filthy things that excite our physical fibers. Okay, here we go. In general, they are like corpses, excrement, manure, sickening odors, and urine. The hells are overflowing with filth like this. Once we enter hell, though, these filthy pleasures turn into dreadful things. So that is gross, and it's pollution. Especially in in Swedenborg's day, there wasn't the industrial pollution to the extent that we have it now. It was things like that, things like corpses and waste. That that was what was wrecking the environment. And Swedenborg says that 
correspondentially the things in the spiritual world, the kinds of the kinds of desires that would get you to want to do the mean things that he listed, when you see them in essence in the spirit, they look like that stuff. They smell like that stuff. And that's, that's actually what's powering those negative emotions. So the love of harming other people or, or of hurting or manipulating or whatever it is, that when you see the essence of it, it is that foul, polluting stuff. So that is, that's a question of sourcing. You know, like you might think, you know, I, I like how this feels to do this, but what industry are you supporting by engaging in that negative behavior, right? Does it have this sort of spiritual pollution component to it? Now, not to be getting all like religious and you were all bad and you guys are bad. We are naturally born to want to have an ego and to want to be the best and want to be first. And you can see this when we're kids. That's what we do. We're supposed to grow out of it, though. We're supposed to, through going through life and understanding what suffering is like for us, seeing other people, realizing, oh, they're, they're just trying to live their own life, too. We're supposed to pick up the idea that people... We, we need to all kind of pitch in to, to make this world good. It's only if we never grow out of that childish mindset that it begins to take on this neg- negative spiritual polluting quality. And you can see this. It, there's a lot of things that little kids can do that, that when they do them, they're cute. But if an adult does the same thing, that's not cute at all. If you don't believe me, here is video evidence. Thomas, what are you making? Hey, Dad, what's for dinner? I made a mud pie! But, Dad, I'm hungry. Not cute. <laughs> okay, so that's, like, you know, hilarious and and uh, silly, but there are a lot of other things where that metaphor is very poignant. If you're talking about, yeah, a kid who swipe something from someone else. You can see a kid, you can be like, okay, that's silly that you tried to do that, but when adults do that, that's not funny anymore. Kids who want to be first in line and try to cut and ah ha ha, but when, when we're all doing it as grown-ups, it's a problem. So we just have to continue to grow up like that. It's not, it's not that we have to expect perfection, but we just have to try to be moving in that direction. And if you wanted some more motivation, the negative stuff that we're trying to get away from, it actually when you look at it represented, there, there are analogs to modern pollution. Like we, we talked before about these sort of, you know, more 1700s pollution of poop and rotting carcasses and those kinds of things. Sorry, I bet you didn't know what you're getting into when you tuned into this. But there's also what seem to be references to think fossil fuel kind of representations. Even in Swedenborg's day, back when he wouldn't have foreseen or nobody knew that there would be this kind of problem with polluting energy sources in the modern world. Specifically, we want to look at coal, like a coal fire. Um, Swedenborg had this encounter where he saw a coal fire represented in the spiritual world. This is Secrets of Heaven 1528, uh, where he goes a little bit deeper into the thing. Sometimes among evil spirits, a life devoted to the fulfillment of one's sensual desires resembles a coal fire. This semblance of fire is what the vitality of the Lord's love and mercy turns into when it flows into them. The vital energy of their hallucinations, on the other hand, looks like the light that comes from such a fire, a dim light with no range whatever. When the living energy of mutual love approaches, the pseudo-fire is snuffed out and turns cold, while the weak light from it goes dark. Evil spirits pass their lives in the dark. Astonishingly, some of them even love darkness and abominate 
light. So there's a full correspondence that the love or the passion of, in that case, sensual gratification, meaning putting physical sensation and urges ahead of everything else in life. Not that it's bad to feel good, you know, but to have that be the goal of your life, you, people know the, the destruction that that causes. So that resembles this coal fire, and the kind of mindset that creates is like the light that comes out of a coal fire, because light is like ideas in the other life. It, light is how you illuminate things, how you see things. So whatever mindset you have is what kind of spiritual light you're in. You know what I'm talking about? Another example, smog. We deal with smog here, where you got factories, industrial pollution, even cars and that kind of stuff causes all kinds of problems. Swedenborg seemed to run into stuff like smog all over the spiritual world. This is Secrets of Heaven 3340. When a glimpse is given into hell, where hellish spirits live, a dark cloud in which they spend their lives appears. If a gust of air escapes, it gives off the smell of insanity wafting from falsity and of hatred wafting from evil. So there you have not, o- not only an example of that pollution, but this is what correspondence is. Here in this world, if you have a cloud of smog, this is made of particulate matter, uh, mercury, carbon monoxide, whatever that stuff is that's harmful to the body. But in the spiritual world, a cloud of pollution is made out of insanity and hatred and those kinds of things. In the spiritual world, thoughts and feelings are things. They create things. They manifest as things. So all the negative stuff that, that we're doing, you know, we all do it at times, this, it creates these kinds of clouds of negativity. It creates this spiritual pollution. So we did a show that was called The Nature of Auras, where it talks about sort of our own personal atmospheres. Swedenborg says, and auras is a, a term that I don't know if he... Yeah, he, In some translations, it, it uses that word. It's a very common term now. But he was describing what he calls a sphere emanating from spirits and, and from people that is sort of like what's inside them, projected around them, that aura can be one either of cleanness or of pollution. There's a particular spirit that Swedenborg described um, who had a very polluting aura. So this is Spiritual Experiences 1297. And this is the the murdering spirit is the one we're talking about here. When the murdering spirit was left freely in the heaven of spirits and was even still in the company of his own hellish spirits, those who killed innocent people with poison, so those are his homies, these guys, those who killed innocent people with poison, and people are grouped together in the afterlife based on what they, they do and love, he spread around a poisonous atmosphere. Then whatever he did, those around him were more or less inflated by him and made to think different thoughts. Everyone lamented also that he was inspiring them with some of his hatred, secretly distorting their goodness into evil. His aura was such that unless he was prompted to reflect on it, he did not know that it went out from him and thus filled the realm of spirits around me, me being Swedenborg, and even myself in this way. He enjoyed this because it magnified him and put him in charge, so to speak. Hence it is clear what a poisonous exhalation a spirit like this one has when he is freely allowed into the realm of others and not kept bound in hell. So you can be polluting on a small scale. Your your attitude can actually harm the spirits around you in the spiritual world. And you can see how feelings and beliefs cause that because you had this guy who had this poisonous sphere. And when he learned he had it, he liked it because he said, this puts me in control of people. I like being in control. That mindset, to, I like 
imposing my will on people in a negative sense, that is spiritually toxic. There's a toxicity there, and it pollutes, and it makes it so that even the spirits around him had a bad time. So another reason to not choose dirty energy sources will make it worse for everybody. Dirty spiritual energy sources, that is. There's also, we a couple episodes ago, we had a show called The Good Thing About Hell, where Swedenborg described meeting a demon who had, uh, we have a picture of him here, he had smoke coming out of his mouth, and that was a represent, representation of the false sorts of things that he believed. So this this is a common correspondence in Swedenborg. And, the, and it makes sense because the kinds of things that are represented by that smog, we'd call them lower pleasures. This would be revenge, ego, deceit, uh, everything we know that, like, you shouldn't do that. You wouldn't want someone to do that to you, but you can get some kind of rush from it. Those those are not renewable spiritual pleasures. And the reason I say that is, I mean, one, they're polluting, and we generally, in, in the current environmental paradigm, equate renewables with pollution-free, right? So they're not, it's not renew, or it's, it's causing pollution, but also it's not renewable in the sense of it doesn't actually make us happy. When we're chasing ego gratification, you can get short bursts of ha- of pleasure, but overall it gets progressive, it gets worse, it, it actually makes your life worse and worse, even though it seems like it would make it better and better. And I, I had a conversation a while about this with author Peter Rhodes on this channel. This is a clip from that where we discuss this phenomenon and get into it a little bit more. If uh, I'm used to having this much money or this much success, like, oh, if I had more, then I would be happy. But it's, you know, people that get more for a little while, but then very soon that becomes the new normal. And the, yes. the Swedenborg says that, that love of the self and of the world is progressive. It's infinitely progressive. Right, that, right. They'll just keep growing. And it's, as you said, you can't be satisfied. And that's yeah. why one of the reasons why you know, you try to steer away from it. I saw this study about people that, that win the lottery, you know, they're happy for a little while, but then it becomes normal for them again. And people that you, you sit around, you know, in your, with your garage band, like, if we were famous, then... But you get there, and then, you know, you sell 400,000 records, and if your second album sells 350,000, it's suddenly 350,000 records. is a disappointment, because you, your standards have been set higher, and you end up at the same sort of happiness level that you had. Yeah. Well, and recovery program, and it's definitely any to this recovery addiction I know of is progressively addictive and destructive. In other words, it takes four drinks now to get to a little buzz. It used to take one drink. Now it takes six, and eventually you become an alcoholic. You have to drink all day just to get to normal. You're not getting high anymore. So that's the nature of divine possibility satisfy the human ego, and it's really important to know that because otherwise you keep thinking you can satisfy it because it's a liar from the beginning. If all I had, you know, if I had a little more money, I'd be happy, you know. If another woman, that's what I'd be happy. And my own experience, I went up to the mountains one time, and I, I wanted to be on vacation, I wanted to be retired, I wanted to be a nice day, I got all these things I want. I'll be happy when I get to the waterfall, I got to the waterfall, I'll be happy when I go swimming, I'll be happy when I get to a nice dry towel. And I kept trying to, what is going on? Then suddenly I thought, I'll be happy when I, uh, tonight when I have some fried shrimp. What are you talking about? I travel up here six and a half hours, I'm up at the waterfall, having retired, a beautiful little cabin, and all you can think about is shrimp. And at that time I just said, just awareness that, oh, wanting is wanting. It's a state of wanting. It can't become the state of satisfaction. In fact, if satisfaction showed up, it would destroy wanting. So wanting is wanting. The content of what it wants 
will vary, but it is never going to be satisfied. As soon as it has something, it doesn't turn to satisfaction. It's just, now what do I want? So have we established that just like we can harm the physical environment through pollution, we can harm the spiritual environment both at large and in ourself through these negative kind of desires and negative ways of pursuing and looking at life. Did, did, we, did we present that? Cool, because that was the point of this section. The way out of it is to, want, to cultivate a desire to protect really both environments. You want to protect the physical, but you also got to think of the spiritual environment as something that you can protect and keep pollution out of and to do the same within yourself. So if we cultivate that attitude, then we can start to change the kind of actions we have that affect our spiritual environment. And we're going to do that now. We're going to begin the upswing here, looking at positive change that we can make in part three, the emissionless source. is the emissionless source. If we know where we get negative spiritual energy from, those kinds of cravings and desires, where do you get the positive energy from? And not surprisingly, Swedenborg says that this is God that, that does this. And he says that, that God is actually the source of everything, but it's in how we receive that things get positive or negative. He talks about this in Apocalypse Explained 349. There is only one fountain of life, and that all life is, that there is only one fountain of life, and that all life is thence and continually flows in, is well known in heaven, and is never called in question by any angel of the higher heavens, for they perceive the influx itself. That all lives are like streams from one only, one only and perpetual fountain of life, has been also rendered evident to me from much experience. It's important principle. Uh, you may be saying, well, if, uh, if uh, it's all from God, then isn't it all good energy? And we're going to be looking at that in a moment, but I want to say a little bit more about that source here. Secrets of Heaven 4, 5, 2, 3. Nothing whatever in the world of nature, that would be our world that we're living in right now, comes into existence on its own, but from something prior to itself. Neither that can this prior entity emerge on its own, but only from something prior to it, and so on, all the way back to the first origin, from which everything that follows emerges in order. Since this is what brings everything into existence, it is also what keeps everything in existence. So keep that in mind, and we're going to look at how everything comes from that, but this may be getting a little bit too abstract, a little bit too theoretical. We're talking about switching energy sources and God and progressions and these kinds of things. What does it look like inside a human being? This is the point of all this, right? How does it look like when it's really somebody's mind and heart? And for that, we're going to introduce a friend of ours named Isaac, and this is his soundcloud.com right here. He recorded his story, and Isaac was got to experience both kinds of energy source, clean spiritual energy and, and dirty spiritual energy, very profoundly. He had a, a rough background, and from that had these wounds and was trying to feed in his life off of all these negative things and really had some tough experiences with that. But then he had this big turnaround where he made this switch that we're trying to do here, where he's looking to, instead of this this destructive short-term solution stuff, he got to tap into this, the emissionless source. So here's a little bit of, of his personal story of, of how it was when he started to, after hitting bottom, turn things around. In my past, I know uh, 
how it is to be away from God, and it's lonely and cold. And having him back in your life does help a lot. Uh, I used to uh, turn to a lot of uh, drugs and alcohol to a uh, numb pain, and those things uh, didn't help. There was always an emptiness, and when I let God in, he healed that. I can go into that more later. But when you find God's love and you truly let him in, he helps your heart because you're not going to live forever and we need God. And when you follow his commandments, you'll find you feel better. You can walk upright taller. There's no guilt or sadness because you're doing the best you can. In any situation that you're given, you just always have to remember God is always there for you. Just don't turn your back on him. When you think of Jesus, what is he, you know, to you? And he says, uh, through me, you can get there. Well, what, what is Jesus? Jesus is love, kindness, caring, understanding, humbleness, humility, no sudden outbursts of anger. All these things, if you really want to get to heaven, you can meditate and work on. You can change yourself. You can, because if you truly love God, he, He's a rock for you if you let Him in. There's this energy that He tapped into. Totally changed His experience. And Swedenborg says that that, that energy, or God, is available to all of us, so we can find God in everything. Divine Providence 5 talks about the ubiquity of the image of God. Divinity is present in everything that has been created because God the Creator, who is the Lord from eternity, brought forth the Son of the spiritual world from His actual self, and by means of that Son brought forth the whole universe. This means that that Son, which is from the Lord and which is where the Lord is, is not only the first but the only substance of which everything is made. So there's actually a spiritual Son that Swedenborg talks about that is not not God, but it's it's like a visual representation of God. We've touched on this in other episodes. Since it is the only substance, it follows that it is present in everything that has been created, but with infinite variety depending on function. In the Lord, then, there is divine love and wisdom. In the Son that comes from Him, there is divine fire and divine radiance. And from that Son comes spiritual warmth and spiritual light, with the two making a single whole. It follows, then, that some image of this whole is present in everything that has been created. So that, it's all over, and you've probably felt experiences of God or, or of something larger in different situations, and everybody sort of finds different things have those, those sort of mystical qualities to them. So I don't, you know, somehow Isaac was able to, to find God where he was, and it had this huge impact. And he talks, we're going to play one more clip from him, where he's talking more about what it was like to change from these negative energy sources he had before to, uh, you know, the, the great source of all energy. So here's Isaac one more time. You can get pretty lost, depressed, and nuts without your father, without love. My whole life I rebelled, and I always felt really lost. It's because I didn't have that love of God. And looking at me now, that I have this love of God and this faith, to back then, uh, two different people. I'm a lot stronger. I'm able. I was able to uh, 
uh, fight this battle of addiction of alcohol. And I've been sober for months now. And that is a big step for me because I always had to have alcohol as a crutch to get through. And that crutch is because I didn't have the love of my father. And throughout my life, various times I tried to let him in and fail and got lost back into evil. Then one day I said, enough is enough. And I prayed and prayed. My life started to change. I went from being pretty much um, a homeless alcoholic who lived where I could to being somewhere where I'm needed and doing good and have a little girl to raise because of strength and prayer. God uh, gave my life blessing. Through faith and prayer, you can become strong because if you're mentally strong you can handle the world better i was depressed and mentally weak as you could get and the demons crushed me but if you rise from that muck and really believe in the light and pray no matter what situation you're in it will be better having faith in god even if it's painful even if you're scared because you can't run away from god and the angels you can run away from demons and you can run away from fear and negativity and doubt and hate and greed and envy you can let in love and light and sit and enjoy the sun enjoy each day enjoy the birds the trees the flowers the air the music to breathe in your lungs to be alive to sit over the bed and stick your shoulders out and say i'm alive it's a beautiful day and that's that's the impact it had on him. And to go from trying to get everything meaningful in your life from these addictive substances to enjoying the things that are happening and available freely every day, like enjoying the beautiful day, that that doesn't have those same deteriorating side effects on your body and, and on your life. This is the switch from, you know, unrenewable energy to renewable spiritual energy. That's how it felt to him. That's how it was to him. It is different for all of us, but it's just a little inspiration that the change is possible. Let's get back to our metaphor that we're trying to say we can learn things about the process of spiritual energy switching if we look at physical energy and how that works. We said at the beginning of the section, all energy spiritually is from God. Well, physically, all this energy, dirty and clean, it's all from the sun initially. If you look at, we have a diagram here to make it all obvious. We think of solar energy as like through solar panels or technology, but solar energy is basically what drives everything. I mean, everything biological, all the you know, trees grow up, plants grow up. So we can tap into that directly when we use those things, when we eat plants, that kind of thing. That and solar energy, those kinds of things, wind energy are direct uses of the sun. However, even fossil fuels it's the sun too, because the sun makes these plants that I, you know, we won't get into it now, but millions of years pass, they're buried, things, processes happen, you end up with these deposits of coal, of oil, which we then take all the time to go dig up 
and move and transport and burn, but because of the way those are, because they're so far removed from the sun, it causes these ecological problems, and we find ourselves in the situation where we are now of trying to, to get off of those things. And we see a similar situation spiritually, that there are simple, easy, convenient pleasures, and just like fossil fuels are very convenient, they have made life very easy for us, but then there are these other ways to do things that, that might seem like we couldn't live off those, but you really can't, and we can, it just takes a gradual shift from dirty to clean, uh, and Swedenborg talks in Divine Providence 33 about how we make that switch on a spiritual level. He says, the closeness of our union with the Lord, who remember is this divine solar energy, depends on the extent to which our love for evil and its desires, its compulsions, is dismissed. So the more that we push away the desires to those little negative things or big negative things that we want to do, the more we say, I'm not doing this, then that opens up the space for this alternate life from God to come in. And that's a tricky process, and we tend to view it unrealistically, like we have to be perfect or we have to get it done immediately. So I think we can look to the process of converting to renewable energy physically to give us clues about how the spiritual process would work. So Ian, uh, we're going to go back to him, but he has to deal a lot with people who want to go from uh, a life that's that's dependent on you know the grid and fossil fuels to clean energy, but it, you can't just do it right away. There's, a, there's steps that have to happen in between. So we asked him, you know, if we wanted to make that switch, what would be the first things we'd need to do to try to switch from, from polluting fuel to, to clean fuel? The first thing you should do is look at how you're ener- using energy now, which means you need to become literate about energy, which most Americans aren't. You, you know, I, I can challenge you that you probably know the fuel economy of the car you drive most of the time how much gas it holds and how far that will take you. you. You probably have some pretty good idea, but I bet most people, you might be an exception, don't even necessarily understand the units we use when we talk about energy. And, and they don't, for sure, don't know what they use each day. And they, if, they, if they, for some amazing reason, know that, they don't know how, you know, what is used. So um, getting, doing an inventory of your own energy use is step number one. And step number two isn't to go out and buy equipment. It's to say, hey, can I shrink that? Can I can I get a handle on using that more effectively? You know, cutting down waste, uh, changing my habits, and then and changing my energy users. Uh, so there's there's a real tendency for people to, uh, to jump to the technologies. Hey, I'm gonna get a wind generator. Oh, I'm gonna get, you know, solar electric modules. But it's all, driven system design is all driven by how much you use each day so finding out and this isn't glamorous work it's work that people actually like to avoid <laughs> similarly at the spiritual way i would say they'd rather do something i mean i i don't mean to put my clients down but my clients would rather write a very large check than change their habits um, and that's just human nature. Me, me too. I'd love to write a check to, to make some, some, me feel better, something better in the world. Um, but uh, if you want to do the hard work in a logical way, in my opinion, you, you inventory your own energy use. You try to shrink it down to a minimum. And then you think, okay, how can I satisfy this energy need in a, in a cleanish way, in a, in a low impact way? 
It's hard work, and it is work, and there's a perfect metaphor for the spiritual side of things. And we can take an inventory of the spiritual parts of our energy usage, just like we would do if we were trying to switch our house to physical renewable energy. You'd have to look through, where am I using a lot of energy? How can I reduce? So let's do that same thing with the house of the mind. Let's say that your mind is a house in the different rooms. You know, up top, you've got like prayer and spiritual growth, trying to understand life, developing your talents. These are all the things you spend energy on in your life, career, family, and friends. But let's say you start looking around and you realize that there's a couple of rooms on the bottom, feeling comfortable all the time, uh, seeking praise, approval, recognition. Let's focus on, you notice, hey, these windows are really leaky. Well, I'm losing a lot of energy here. Doing this, trying to always get people to say things about me that I want them to say, needing that to be valid. There's, There's energy leaking out there, you know. Maybe it's time to think, well, what if I just sort of shut that room off and and turn off the heater. You know, some people do that. They have a porch or something, screened in or enclosed porch that just can't be heated well in the winter. They just let that go cold in the winter. So maybe there's some time when, you know, and these are just examples we thought of. You pick whatever, what in your own mind is a room that you're thinking, maybe I don't need to be spending spiritual energy on that because I need to cut down on it. Those are the kinds of ways we can have this metaphor work for us. Uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a little pithy example, but how, taking inventory, what is negative, what is positive, what could I work with? And we're going to look at that more extensively here now in part four, where we try to actually tap into this better flow. Don't try to be perfect. That's pretty good advice any area of life, but it really applies with the process of trying to clean ourselves up or trying to improve spiritually in any way, because there's a tendency to get all negative and critical of ourselves if we don't hit goals or if we relapse or you get overwhelmed or something. It's it's just not going to help uh, to, to try to expect, I okay, I know this is not, I know I shouldn't get angry when person X in my family triggers me, so I'm just going to never do it. Oh, I did it. You know, that's going to happen. It's just part of being human. We, we make small incremental steps. And this is something that, you know, in... Uh, in, if we're going back to our metaphor, uh, in environmentalism, you know, you can't uh, expect perfection there as well. And Ian had a few thoughts on that. So, yeah, I would say there are some people in the environmental movement who want things to be perfect and, and want no impact, you know, zero impact. And my sort of macabre joke is that if you want no impact, who's going to dig the hole before you kill yourself, you know? you're you're going to have an impact here. So the question is, do we have a large impact or not? And I work in the residential scale of renewables, but one of my colleagues, Paul Geip, works in utility scale wind, and he says, wind farms should take care of their trash. And of course, a wind farm is not high impact. It's a very low impact compared to coal or nuclear or oil. But if it doesn't build in the cost for decommissioning, we have trash all of the environment in, in 40 years because those machines just decay and fall apart or, or are knocked down and left. Uh, and Paul, my colleague, lives in Southern California and walks on part of the Pacific Crest Trail that has wind turbine debris. 
well, that's an impact. So uh, I like to point out to my students and clients that we're trying to lower our impact, not eliminate it. We're, we're humans, we're part of the environment. Uh, we can live more lightly. We don't have to have such a heavy touch. Lower the impact, don't eliminate. Live more lightly. The realistic kind of standards. We don't need to try to be perfect people that never have negative thoughts and feelings. It's, an, it's a spiritual impossibility, according to Swedenborg. That's not the game. It's about getting to a better place than we're in now and having life be, uh, life be much more fun, but not without any kind of challenge in it. So how do we do that? How do we make this spiritual energy switch? First, you have to believe that it is possible believe that this different kind of spiritual fuel exists. If you only be- think that l- that life is fun when you're in competition or when you are gratifying negative things, then you're, you're going to have no incentive to change because what, what good is that going to do? It's not going to get me anything. Swedenborg talks about this in Heaven and Hell 395. He's talking about people who, who don't believe that, that heavenly joy is possible. The reason they do not know about heavenly joy is that people who think about it at all base their judgments on the external joys of the natural person. They do not know what the inner or spiritual person is, so they do not know what that person's pleasure and blessedness are. So even if they were told by people involved in spiritual or inner joy what heavenly joy is and how it feels, they would not be able to grasp it. Because if you put that kind of block up, you can't... Heavenly joy that Swedenborg describes, and the, the joys of doing good things, they're subtle. They're a little more fragile. And if you don't make any space for them or develop a sensitivity, you, you can't feel them. You think there's nothing to it. There's just somebody on YouTube telling me you're supposed to be good and then you'll be happy, but it's not true, right? you got to have a space where you're going to... I'm at least going to give this a try. I'm at least going to have an affirmative mindset going into this. And then you got to take little steps. Do it little step by little step. Heaven and Hell 396, he describes a little more of the process of, of changing where we get joy. All pleasures flow from love, because what we love we feel is pleasant. There is no other source of any pleasure. It follows then that the quality of the love determines the quality of the pleasure. Pleasures of the body or of the flesh flow from love for ourselves and from love of the world. And these are also the source of our urges and their gratifications. So those are words that you may or may not have associations with. What he means overall is negative pleasure. The pleasures of the soul or spirit, though, all flow from love for the Lord and love for our neighbor, which are also the source of affection for what is good and true and of our deeper bliss. These loves and their pleasures flow in from the Lord and from heaven by an inner path, from above, and move our deeper natures. To the extent that the two loves of heaven are accepted and affect us, then, our deeper levels, the levels of our souls or spirits, are open. The more that we, it's a positive feedback loop, the more you accept this good stuff, the more you open up and can really start to feel it and have it be tangible. And again, it's not about changing everything that's in you, it's more about taking an inventory. So let's say that you are looking at pleasure sources. You know, there may be some that you got, like, like if you're fixing up a house, this has got to be replaced. This we could just, we could just give a new coat of paint on. So if you've got anger, revenge, stealing, slandering, you know, anger, you may have some zeal still, but there's some things that you just like, I, I don't want this. I don't want 
this. This is not going to be compatible. It's like in our metaphor, if you had, yeah, if you had a, a room that was really leaky, I can't heat this room, or you have some energy guzzling appliance, or you got like four hot tubs, I got to get rid of three of them. I can't have this much energy usage and expect to make the switch. But there's other stuff that you might just need to clean up a bit. You know, these things, we, we chose these, some examples, food, humor, entertainment, work methods and goals, critiquing other people, that, that can all be great stuff, and we can also have unhealthy relationships with that stuff. We can use that for harm. For example, critiquing people, let's say that you you have a habit of it and it's causing some harm, but it could be that you, you work on making that more constructive and you work on holding your tongue every once in a while and just bending that more into a tool for good rather than saying, I need to never give evaluations on anything. Does that make sense? So the reason why we would, where we're doing all this stuff is that we can actually get to a place where we get more energy in the sense of what you would think if you just heard that colloquially. Uh, better energy, like, you know how there's all these energy drinks and energy supplements people sell because people are tired all the time? Swedenborg actually experienced that when he was, when he had gotten rid of these negative pleasures and was tapped into this deeper self where these higher pleasures come from, he could do more stuff. He had more energy, energy. Is this a spiritual experience's word explained? It is human nature that the outward gestures become spontaneous and effortless when we are being our deepest self. For then we are sustained because strength is proportionate to love. I have also quite often experienced in various ways how outer strength, that is power of mind and body, have followed with unrestrained ease when I was being my deeper self. It was evident in many ways. Furthermore, everyone experiences this same thing just from love. When there is a love for something, nothing is heavy." The reverse is true when a person is struggling. So it's not all just like sort of airy morality stuff. You could actually be less tired if you were doing this. And you, we know that experience that when you're hyped up about something, when you really like a project you're working on, you have more energy to do that. And Swedenborg is saying the more that we get in touch with these higher goals, we get more energy to do these good sorts of things. So that's part of why we're trying to give you these tools to do this transition. And one thing, if you're going to try to go on a journey where you say, I'm going to change my, my spiritual energy, I'm going to try to get, get fuel from things that are, that are net positive instead of net negative, you're going to have to be wary of not being worried about failing too much. Did I say that well? You're going to have to not worry too much about failing. Because there's going to be setbacks, as we said before, but you don't have to look at those as failures. And this is something, returning to our metaphor, that Ian found in renewable energy, just in the technology of it and in spreading it. There's times when not everything goes as planned, but he found that depending on how he saw it, it, it could be a very different experience. So here's what he had to say about that. I think it would be a failure if, uh, if I never learned anything from the process. If, if I never had a relationship with anyone down there. Um, and some, sometimes I think I do renewable energy because I like to connect with people. And, and renewable energy connects you with people who care. Um, and that I think is, that, that human connection, that community that I've built is more important to me in many ways than the technology. So, you know, what's failure? A disconnection between people. 
me not being able to see what's needed, me not having the time or making the time in my life to go back and follow up. Um, and, and again, my primary role down there is education, so it's it's almost never a failure because out of my group of 20 to 25 people, a third of them are just go home on fire <laughs> about changing their own lives, about the experience, you know, uh, about the technology. So that's even if it's imperfect, it's uh, it's wonderful. This is kind of where our metaphor about energy, physical energy and spiritual energy, these intersect because you see him finding ways to enjoy things and get something out of it, even if it doesn't go perfectly. And he does that by looking deeper. Instead of just thinking about, here's the checklist that I get everything done, he's thinking about, what do people care about? You know, are people happy? Are they excited by this? Did I make connections? This is really spiritual level kind of stuff, and it flows better for him when he focuses on that deeper stuff. You know, so there you have this sort of spiritual way of looking at his job, and we, any of us, can do that. And the reason that when you look at the deeper side of things, you find this positive outlook is that that God is within. I mean, God, you've heard that before, and Swedenborg says, that's how it is, Divine Providence 31. No one should become attached to the mistaken notion that the Lord lives among the angels in heaven or dwells with them the way a monarch dwells in a realm, an idea that crosses many minds when they first think about the matter. Visually, the Lord is above them there like a sun, though as far as the life of their love and wisdom is concerned, He is within them. You've got God inside you, in your feelings and thoughts, um, cheering you along, pulling you towards this this good, renewable life that we're trying to push you towards here. And if you needed more motivation to go that way, this the pleasures of good spiritual energy are, are vastly superior to anything the ego can offer. This is Heaven and Hell 402. All the pleasure, pleasures of heaven are united to forms of service and dwell within them. So that we're, what is this good spiritual energy? It's loving to serve some cause. Because forms of service are the good effects of the love and thoughtfulness that angels are immersed in. Consequently, the nature of each individual's pleasures depends on the nature of that individual's service, and its intensity depends on the intensity of the affection for service. We can be assured that heaven's pleasures are pleasures of service by comparing them with our own five physical senses. Each sense has its own pleasure in accord with the service it performs. What he means is, you know, taste, things can taste good because our body needs things to be nourishing. So that's re- the body is rewarding itself for, for getting food, and that applies to everything. You know, so that, that is what he's talking about there. That's, but heavenly pleasures, the deeper pleasures, they have a reward because you're accomplishing the goals of love and the spirit recognizes those the way the body recognizes touch or hearing or something like that. And further in Heaven and Hell 397, by its very nature, heaven is full of pleasures, even to the point that if we see it as it really is, it is nothing but bliss and pleasure. This is because divine good that the divine good that emanates from the Lord's divine love constitutes heaven both overall and in detail for everyone there. And divine love is the intent that everyone should be saved and should be most profoundly and fully happy. This is why it is all the same whether you say heaven or heavenly joy. And remember, heaven is a state of mind. 
So this is the state of mind we're working towards, one that is full of joy and full of the desire to serve people, to accomplish the goals of getting other people to feel that same joy. That is that is the mindset of heaven, and that is a renewable source. And Swedenborg talks a little more about how we tap into that in Divine Providence 39, which we have set to video for your viewing and listening pleasure. So here it is. Words cannot describe the varieties of heaven's bliss, rapture, pleasure, and delight, the joys of heaven, though these joys give us perceptible feelings in heaven. Anything we perceive only as a feeling is beyond description, because it does not fit neatly into mental concepts and therefore into words. Our discernment simply sees, and it sees things that have to do with wisdom or truth, but not things that have to do with love or what is good. The result is that heaven's joys are inexpressible, even though they are on the same rising scale as wisdom. They come in infinite variations, each one indescribable. I have both heard and felt this. However, these joys enter us only as we distance ourselves from compulsions to love what is evil and false, which distancing we do apparently with our own strength, but in fact from the Lord's strength. These joys are actually joys of loving desires for what is good and true and they are directly opposed to the compulsions to love what is evil and false. The joys proper to desires for what is good and true have their source in the Lord, so they come from the center of our being. From there they spread into our lower reaches, all the way to the lowest. So they fill angels and make them virtually nothing but delight. These joys, with all their infinite variations, are found in every desire for what is good and true, especially in the desire for wisdom. Because you can put on a lot of work into trying to do what we what was just said in that video, reject negative stuff, let in positive stuff, uh, and through that grow spiritually. But it's not if you do that in your life here, it's not like you will automatically be blissed out and so happy. You can put in a lot of spiritual work and still feel like you're struggling with just sort of subtle progress. That's, I mean, it's not always fun, but that's okay. That's part of the process. Swedenborg says that that heavenly joy is actually often subtle in this life. While you're still in a physical body, you get more subtle experiences of heavenly joy. His Heaven and Hell 409, where he goes, talks about it at a bit of length. Actual heavenly joy as it is in and of itself is beyond description because it dwells in the deepest nature of angels. It flows from there into the details of their thought and affection, and from these into the details of their speech and action. It is as though their deeper levels were wide open and freed to accept a delight and bliss that spreads out through all their fibers and therefore through their whole being, giving them a kind of perception and feeling that simply cannot be described." Anything that arises from the deepest levels flows into the details that derive from those deepest levels and proliferates toward the outer levels, constantly gaining strength. When good spirits who have not yet experienced this pleasure, not having been raised into heaven yet, perceive it from the aura of love from some angel, they are filled with such pleasure that they find themselves in a kind of sweet faint. This often happens to people who want to know what heavenly joy is. Is So you can see that it's subtle, and that's sort of a, a protection, because, um, you know, there's 
there's the risk of a sweet faint. We we can't always have we can't always handle it here. That that you got to wait a little bit, but it's going to get better and better. And that's what that's what heaven is: is this continual progression into deeper and deeper, fuller and fuller happiness forever. And he goes on in, in heaven and hell four ten. Some spirits wanted to know what heavenly joy was, so they were allowed to feel it to the point that they could not bear any more. Still, this was not angelic joy, but only the slightest trace of the angelic quality that they were allowed to observe and share. It was so slight that it was almost cool, yet they called it most heavenly because it was so deep within them. I could tell from this not only that there are levels of heavenly joy, but also that the deepest level of one individual barely touches the outermost or some median level of another. I could also see that when we do reach our own deepest level, we are in our own heavenly joy and that we could not bear anything deeper because it would become painful for us. So two takeaways, heavenly joy is awesome. You can feel this, and this is Swedenborg reporting from experience and seeing others, and you get this, you look at near-death experiences, they'll describe the joy in this way. You can feel completely, this is better than anything I've ever felt, and Swedenborg says, you haven't even scratched the surface, you haven't even crossed the threshold into the joy that, that is in heaven. So this is why it's such a good investment to go this direction, and but we're not ready for it now. This is why we're not automatically in heaven. Our minds are not shaped for it yet, so it would actually be uncomfortable if the faucet was just turned on, if the circumstances aren't right. So there there you have the motivation, um, and we're going to take a look now. In case we haven't convinced you, uh, we're going to put a few more reasons in there why this spiritual energy switch is definitely worth your time. Here's part five. We can get glimpses of that heavenly joy here, though. And we talk about you can't experience the same kind of bliss, but there there are analogs to it. There are these subtle forms of it. And that would be, think about any time you've been excited about a cause that you are a part of, any project or something that you're doing that you know benefits people, that you know helps people, and you love the idea of how you're helping them. I even think about... It is actually true, or I've found it to be true, as you get older, you can start getting more excited about the gifts you're getting for people, particularly if they're little people, that that becomes sort of the excitement of Christmas or birthdays or those kinds of things. There's something that if you if you're ever doing a job that you feel like I know this is helping or you're somehow contributing or you're you're giving somehow of yourself, you can have these little slices of heaven. And it's hard to choose those in some ways because we're used to sort of, as I said, cheap and easy highs. This is just like fossil fuels make life really easy. You just fill up your car. It's not a problem. You, you can just get use as much energy as you want, which is the same like with the ego. If you, know, you, you win something or get back at someone or honk at someone on the road, it's like, ah, I feel, I feel good right away. That it's a big hit of it. But we can slowly change what our primary fuel source is. We can eventually make it so that we, we actually want the good stuff and, and really aren't that into the bad stuff. And this is paralleled in 
in renewable energy itself. Just like you might think the, the human race could never stop loving, harming each other, get our act together, and, uh, and, and just live in harmony, you might think the same thing about renewable energy. How We use so much energy, we pollute so much, how would we ever turn this around? But Ian, who's in the thick of things, he thinks that, that yeah, there is a future where we're going to get it together, and he had a, a few last thoughts on that. So I'm really excited about the future, but it has nothing to do with the technology. It has to do with people's awareness. You know, I put my first solar electric modules and wind generator up above this house I'm sitting in uh, in 1984. Um, it's powering our conversation. You know, I have I cooked my breakfast on solar and wind electricity. You know, uh, I have a surplus. Uh, one of my favorite T-shirts in my industry it says, uh, "We have the technology." And I think there are a lot of people that think, oh, when, when is solar going to, to really work? Well, it's going to work when you choose it, because it's been working for me for you know, more than 30 years, um, providing most or all of my, my electrical energy. So, uh, but I'm excited about the, the, the rising awareness of it. I can take a client who's getting ready to build a house and help him or her design and build a home that has a zero energy footprint, that all its energy comes on site, not from a utility, not from the ground, just from from what's uh, shining and blowing and <laughs> falling on it. Um, that's totally possible. The, the missing link is not dollars, it's not technology, it's, it's the determination of the owners to live that way. People choosing is, is what's exciting to me. And uh, as the technology gets more and more popular acceptance, <clears throat> more and more people do write that check, do change that habit, and um, stop avoiding facing that. And of course, if we got political, we could say that our system really supports people in you know, not having to look at that problem. Oh, just pay the bill. Just keep paying the utility bill and, and um, just just keep fueling that car without really thinking about the impact. Um, but what I find underneath a lot of normal people is a growing understanding that renewable energy is the right thing to do, uh, that, it, that it's just obvious that the sun shines down on your property. Why not capture it? Even the people who sort of poo-poo it or, or say, oh, that's not ready or we need new technology. Underneath that, I think a lot of people realize, no, it's really the right thing to do. <laughs> and it really does just work. I mean, we see it in nature every day. It's renewably powered. We see it in farming. You know, however it's done, it's, it's fundamentally renewably powered. Why have we had this little cultural historical deviation where we've, use dirty stuff that we have to go long distances to get and and do a lot of damage to the environment to get and create risks for our health and, and our safety to get when it's right here it's it's right in front of us and uh, uh, people are coming around and uh, uh, even governments are coming around some of them <laughs> but I, I'm more excited about people coming around and realizing hey I can take control of my life and uh, I can I can use this clean resource. It's it's a super satisfying feeling to know that when the wind blows, I'm getting electricity. 
When the sun shines, I'm getting electricity and hot water. When it rains, I'm filling up my tanks to water my, my gardens and orchard. And some people, when it rains, they're making electricity. You know, Some people, when, when their animals are, are pooping, they're, they're getting manure that's making, uh, making electricity or, or, or cooking their food. So there's a very, very satisfying feeling to be in that cycle that we appreciate in nature and we've decided over the last couple hundred years that we're not really going to be part of that cycle. We're going to be outside of it. And now we're saying, you know, wait a minute, that cycle's not too bad. Why don't we jump back in that cycle? It's, it's such a good metaphor. If, if I haven't communicated it clearly here, when he's talking about renewable energy and the problems there and, and the reasons for doing it, this is just the same as this spiritual energy we've been talking about, that it's there, it's better for everyone, we can do it, we know it's the right thing to do. So uh, hopefully I've, I've gotten that across, how one mirrors the other, and that you, you can learn about one to learn about the other. So that is the name of the game for renewable energy, and we can do this the same way inside of us with our spiritual energy. Don't condemn yourself for having some negative stuff inside you, just like it's if I I'm, if I go drive home right now and burn a, a, some gas, it's not going to ruin the world. It's about, but it's about making those choices and all of us collectively starting to move in that direction. And it gets easier as more people do it. I'm, I'm ta- I could be talking about either, but I'm talking about this spiritual thing too, because the more nice people you're around, the more you let your guard down and become nice, the more it rubs off on everybody. You can eventually, we can, the promise is we can live off of these heavenly joys instead of these sort of hellish joys. And this is a little more from that clip of that video, uh, What Heaven Feels Like, where Swedenborg describes the, the nature of this joy and how it can spread and feed us. To offer just an idea of it, the countless pleasures and joys in heaven, which come together to create a single experience shared by all, carry with them a certain emotion. Within that common experience or that common emotion are points of harmony among a boundless number of feelings. I was allowed to perceive that there were countless parts, organized in a way that can never be described. Every one of the parts is alive, and every one of them affects us all the way to our core, for the deepest parts are where heavenly joy comes from. I also perceive that joy and happiness seem to come from my heart, gently permeating even the tiniest parts of my nerves. The sensations of this joy at the deepest levels made it seem as though each nerve was composed of nothing but joy and good feelings. The nerves seemed alive with happiness. The joy we feel in physical indulgence compared to these joys is like a coarse, stinging dust compared with the gentlest breath of pure air. We don't want the coarse, stinging dust. Come on. Nobody who would want that. Something about heavenly joy, as described by Swedenborg, that makes it extra renewable is that sharing heavenly joy with people makes that joy fuller. This is Heaven and Hell 413. He says, I noticed when I, he's in having this ecstatic experience of heavenly joy. I noticed that when I wanted to convey all my pleasure to someone else, a deeper and fuller pleasure flowed in ceaselessly in its place. The more I wanted to convey it, the more it flowed in. And I perceive that this was from the Lord. And I already used positive feedback loop in this show, but think about that as a positive feedback loop. In heaven, everybody's deepest joy. Heaven, you get to the mindset of heaven if you put in the time and work 
to start to love helping people and, and focusing on wanting other people to have happiness. Once you have that mindset, your deepest joy is to make someone feel better. And when you do that, that makes you feel even better. And then you pass it along. That's why heaven is so happy. It's all these parts working together. In Secrets of Heaven 9174, he says, the way this sharing works is that the more an angel gives to another in a spirit of neighborly love, the more the giver receives as an influence from heaven as a whole, or in other words, from the Lord. In giving to one who asks then, an angel is not deprived of possessions, but is enriched with them. The same is true for us as well when we do good to another in a spirit of neighborly love. You know that song, it's just like a magic penny. Hold on tight. Landis Bennett, you'll have so many. Which is weird because like as as Matt points out, what magic penny what it doesn't make anyway. <laughs> how is that a magic how is that like a magic penny? But the concept that if you spend it, you have more that's how heavenly joy is. Heavenly joy is like a magic penny. There, that's the show in one sentence. You give more, you get more. It's the most satisfying. Convert to renewable spiritual energy. That's going to work out best for all of us. So, hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please like and subscribe. I guess if you're on Facebook, just like. You can't re- or just like. Oh, on Facebook, it's on this side. You can't really subscribe. YouTube, please do both. And if you guys want to join us, we're having our 100th episode coming up. Last week, we misidentified the date. Look at it there, May 9th, 2016. If you're in the Philadelphia, New York, kind of New Jersey, uh, Delaware Valley area, Burnathan College Campus, Pendleton Hall Auditorium, you can come and sit in the audience for a taping of our 100th episode, and we'll have details on that as it progresses. would love to see you there. And if you want to make this show continue to happen and other programming like it, please consider making a donation. But don't take it from me, take it from this video. We want the ideas and insights we cover to be available for free to anyone, anytime they need them. That's why we offer Swedenborg's books as free downloads on Swedenborg.com, and we produce this show and other content on our Off the Left Eye YouTube channel with no paywall or ads. The only way to keep this up, though, is for those of you who like what we're doing and feel comfortable giving to give. If the idea of helping others have easy access to the content we produce feels meaningful to you, please consider supporting this cause with a donation. Give if you can, receive if you need. If we cycle through this way, in the end, everybody wins. I said we would get to questions, and we're going to do it now. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Let's see what you had to say. Here's question number one. Gloria Borealis, how did Swedenborg view the Trinity in God? Swedenborg says that there is a Trinity in God that is like the Trinity in any of us, meaning we have a body, a spirit, and our actions, or our life that we live. And Swedenborg says that God the Father is like the soul of God, Jesus Christ is like the body, and the Holy Spirit is like the actions of God emanating out. And in that way, we actually are in the image and likeness of God. So there's thing number one. Uh, Let's go to question two. William, having OCD, a lot of times images and thoughts like that I can't stop or quiet down, would that be an example of evil spirits trying to make me feel bad? I had OCD pretty bad for a while as well. I had a phase of a couple of years where I would have to um, 
compulsions to do things, and I have very intrusive thoughts, invasive things. Swedenborg says that that while there is a physical component to everything, that all all negative stuff is from hell. Now, I like he still says we have to get treated via the physical world by natural means, but it seems to me like I, I had OCD. That seems like hell. You know, that seems like a tactic to break someone down, and that even when it's not categorized as a disease. From other reports, if you look at our um, shows on how to deal with evil spirits, where we interviewed someone who'd worked with a lot of schizophrenic patients, these kinds of things, who report these very much goal-oriented, specific voices that they hear that seem to have their own personalities, that seems to be how evil spirits work. Um, I don't, as far as all the workings in, of it, I don't know how it all goes, but but in my experience, looking back for me, it's like that's that's hell, that's what hell does. Um, you know, we can still try to fix it through the the methods that we have physically to deal with those conditions, but all evil is from hell in some way. That That's what Swedenborg says. So hopefully that's a good answer. All right, next one. Did Swedenborg visit the abyss? Um, I don't know. Thanks, Brett. I don't know exactly what you mean by the abyss, but he visited like everywhere. So he probably visited there, meaning he was all through the spiritual world, uh, heaven, hell. Um, he talks about, you know, being sort of at the edge of the expanse of everything and people there situated who are like statues almost that are contemplating what happened before there was existence. So one of those has got to fall into, I don't know if this is a particular term for a modern phenomenon or something like that, but those are my thoughts on Swedenborg had so much experience where he toured so many places. Could be, or if you're talking about the, the abyss as the bottom of the ocean, like in that movie from the 80s, uh, he did not go there. Okay, next one. Loria Borealis is back. Now I'm really confused. Why would Jesus have to die on the cross? Then there's no salvation through him. Oh, you know what you got to do? Sorry for the confusion. You've got to watch our episode. We have an episode that's called Why Jesus Was Born. We also have one called The Spiritual Battles of Jesus Christ. That second one, The Spiritual Battles of Jesus Christ, actually talks about the cross. Get, get there, um, watch. I know that's, that's annoying to have me tell you to watch two hour-long videos, but the answer to that is, I, I believe, very satisfying, and it's a central tenet of Swedenborg's theology. So this proves that that we actually are doing these questions live, if she could respond to me during this. So watch those two, uh, The Spiritual Battles of Jesus Christ, Why Jesus Was Born. That gets into it much better than I could explain uh, right now. So hope that's not a cop-out. Thanks for the question, um, and at least you're more confused now than, than when you started. Okay, next one. Sam, so is it possible that the spiritual realm could get out of balance again and have to use the power of a Christ like Jesus? It could, I think anything's possible. Swedenborg seemed to indicate that we're headed towards a, a layer of stability, that this the new church, as he describes it, will be lasting. But it is, a, I mean, there was many churches before, and this is getting into, you look at our show, The Spiritual History of the Human Race and The Spiritual Future of the Human Race, those both deal with this subject. Um, they, there's supposedly order brought in, but but there has had to be interventions by God on an, in a number of occasions, or specific interventions. God is always guiding things. So it could well be that based... I mean, if we actually have free choice, 
you would have to think we have the collective potential to mess things up again to the point where something like that would have to happen. Although I don't know if it would come, according to Swedenborg, in the form of of the person of Jesus Christ. Again, he says that once that was accomplished, now God has this direct interaction with the mind that he can use to accomplish what he used to have to accomplish through that. So uh, maybe not a person, but but I don't know. How would I know if if that's a possibility? So I don't want to act like I can cut that off. So good question. Let's do a couple more. This is Scott. So being genuinely grateful is a good way, or maybe the quickest way, to tap into the positive energy. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, being grateful is an acknowledgement that we are receiving gifts. It's a slowing down. It's that's That's a very potent way to try to get good energy. I'd say the companion piece to that is refuse harmful tendencies at the same time. What Swedenborg always says that you got to do both. You got to, you can't just be looking at the good things. You also have to be pushing away bad things. So take a time when something harmful is appealing to you and say, I, that would be fun, but I know it's going to hurt someone, so I'm not going to do it. And Swedenborg says that's very potent as well. So good call. We're going to do two more questions. Elaine, how many angels do we have around us all the time? Two is the minimum. Swedenborg says that there's there are angels. One is hanging out with you in your thoughts. One is hanging out with you in your feelings, and we always have those two with us to survive, but also we, our spirits, are in spiritual communities as well. So apart from our close buddies, there's like, we could be in spirit in a community of heaven surrounded by that. So there's that, and it sounds like also that there's just angelic um, protectors, these kinds of things that come to us. So two is going to be your minimum, could be many more than that, according to Swedenborg. All right, one more. Thanks for the questions. Talia, aren't people in heaven perfect? So how does this concept of choosing better energy apply to them? Actually, people in heaven are not perfect. Uh, Swedenborg, we just, what show did we talk about this in? Spiritual fermentation. I think it was just last week we talked about, uh, we did a show called Spiritual Fermentation, how the process continues. Even angels, Swedenborg says, are constantly being perfected, because angels, according to him, are people who have been choosing this, but they still, evils are never, yeah, watch Spiritual Fermentation. I know I'm just telling everyone to watch shows, but that's why we do these shows, is to answer questions. Um, It says that evils in us, they can be pushed to the periphery, but they're not they're not detonated. They're not gotten rid of. Uh, so every once in a while, angels need to go through a process so they can be have this sort of negativity in them kind of rustled up, and they use that sort of darkness to actually progress. And God is putting them through the processes that we are. It's not nearly as bad as what we go through, but we do continually be perfected. It's sort of like if you think about a very harsh climate versus a very mild climate, You know, if you're in a very harsh climate, the winters are long and dark and brutal. But if you're, you know, near the tropics, the the winter might just be a a drop of like five degrees or something. That's kind of what heaven is like as compared to here. It's less often that these negative things happen and they're more manageable. But nobody's perfect; only God's perfect. That's that's according to Swedenborg, which is nice because then we don't have to compare to each other because we're all uh, we're all just doing our best, and uh, you guys 
are doing a great job <laughs> and a great job of asking questions and hanging out and just appreciate that you want to talk about this stuff with us. So we're going to sign off now, but we'd love to have you back next week. We're going to do a show that's called The Infinite in You. Talk more about the relationship of God to the self and how all that works. Hope you have a good week in the meantime, and I will see you then.